Hi there, I'm Kian Cruz, author of Dad Bod, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 225, Inside Man Movie Review. McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now this week, it was over to you, Caveman, to pick a quote-unquote newer movie for us to review. Since our last two movies were from 1986, you decided to fast forward all the way to 2006, even though it was 16 years ago from now, but to me, that's a newer movie. Uh, So you nominated the Spike Lee-directed heist film Inside Man. And we're going to get to that shortly. But first off, what pop culture have you been able to take in since we last spoke, my friend? Hey, Chris. I love that you had to quote unquote newer movie, but I guess you're right. It's 16 (laughs) years old. It's not really new anymore, but it is definitely newer than the last few we did. Yeah, I was looking at the date and you know the way I am. I look at 2006 and I'm like, oh, we got a newer movie coming up. And I've had people reach out to me on email and Twitter and things like that. And they're like, I love how you call 2006 a newer movie. Well, to me it is, because I'm caught in the past. But uh, in the last couple of weeks, what uh, what pop culture have you oh, gotten yourself I, into? I had a lot of time to watch a lot of things. We won't go through everything. Uh, okay. I've got a few TV shows on the go that I, I'm not really going to dive into until I've had a chance to sort of finish the seasons, uh, with one exception, which I'll get to in a minute. But I actually mm-hmm. want to start off with a documentary, which I know is not how I normally do this, but let's start with the documentary. Did you say documentary? Oh, I did. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's Documentaries. Derek's Documentaries. What documentary were you able to partake in? Please do share. So, in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks, we lost the late, great Nichelle Nichols, who many of us remember yes. as Lieutenant Uhura from the original Star Trek series. And my wife said, hey, you guys are doing your podcast this week, right? Are you going to talk about Nichelle Nichols? And I said, I think it's fairly safe to say that, yes, we will acknowledge uh, that she has passed recently. And uh, we will probably say a few kind words on her behalf. And, and she said, well, you need to watch this documentary that I have on the PVR. It's called Woman in Motion. I was like, oh, OK, sure. So I watched it yesterday. And let me start by saying it's fantastic. A plus. And it is about Nichelle Nichols. Oh. And she actually has a company called Women in Motion, which is where the the title of the documentary comes from. Um, And the movie is about – it's a biography of her, but it specifically focuses on the fact that in the the 1970s, NASA was trying to recruit astronauts for the new space shuttle program. And out of about 1,000 candidates that they had – like 95% of them were white men. <clears throat> and so she was in a discussion with some folks from NASA and they said like, we really need to figure out a way 
to uh, have some diversity. Actually, I think she was probably the one who brought it up and said like, hey, people need to see themselves in this space program and they're not seeing themselves unless they're white men. Uh, like, what's up with that? And when they realized how big a problem it was, uh, she had offered some suggestions and they said, well, why don't you become like our, the face of NASA to try and increase the recruitment? So NASA had a 12 month recruitment and the first eight months they did it on their own. And I think they got between 1,000 and 1,500 applicants and less than 100 of them were, were women or people of color. The rest were all white dudes. So, and then they said, well, we got four months left to do our recruiting. And Nichelle Nichols went into overdrive and she uh, basically said to NASA, I need complete autonomy to do this. I can't be seen as just like a talking head for NASA. I need to go out and talk to college campuses and, and programs where I can talk to people that are like me, people of color and women and say like, hey, if you apply, NASA will take you seriously. And in the four months she went out, she brought their recruitment from just over 1,000 to over 8,000. And of those 8,000, it was almost 2,000 were women and people of color. And because of her um, her advocacy and her, her passion and her legitimacy of what was going on, uh, the first, I think it was 30 or so astronauts they picked to do the space shuttle, there were... Uh, uh, three black men and uh, a number of women. Uh, there was, a, I think, an Asian guy, a couple of Latinos. Like, it really started to see some diversity. I don't want to say it was diverse because it was still predominantly white men, but it opened the door. And it was absolutely 100% because of her efforts. And so this documentary is all about her relationship with NASA and how she, as a public figure who gained fame in a science fiction show, helped shape the actual space program in real life. And honestly, I had no idea how influential she had been over the years in this regard. Uh, and this documentary was fascinating. And if you have access to it, I got it on HBO Crave here in Canada. It's called Woman in Motion. It's from 2019. Uh, this is the best 90 minutes you're gonna spend all week. Like, it is great. It is so good, it's so positive, and you know, I've always been a fan of her work because I've known her through Star Trek, but my God, talk about an unsung hero. At, at least to me as a white man, I, I didn't know all this stuff. And it's just like, we we have lost a giant with Nichelle Nichols passing this past week. So RIP Nichelle Nichols. So cool that, you know, she was this woman of color in space, you know, on Star Trek. And then she uses that power than celebrity that she gained from that to try to forward, you know, other people of color and women to go to space. That's, I didn't know that about her. That's yeah, fantastic. Thank you for sharing fantastic. that. It's so good. Uh, believe me. I, I I mean, I've already, I probably didn't do a good enough job just explaining how amazing this documentary is, but man, oh man, it is fantastic. And Love you it. will never think of this, this person the same way again after you watch this documentary. And apparently there have been a couple of documentaries about her over the years. So they actually intercut footage from earlier docs where they had interviewed her, or at least interviews they had had. And uh, it's just fascinating the number of people that uh, were inspired to, to go where they are, people who went into the sciences, uh, people who went into the, the, what do they call it, STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, specifically women and people of color who to this day say, I wouldn't have done what I did if Nichelle Nichols hadn't come to my college and, and suggested that we 
apply for these opportunities and that we would be taken seriously. There were people in the military that had already been denied through the military channels. And basically, Nichelle found out that if they applied as civilians, even though they were military, they would be given a second opportunity to to get into the program. And so many of them did. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. And the number of people over the years who have come back to 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 meet her and to talk to her and 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 tell her the influence she had like it was just it's fantastic i can't i can't express how positive this documentary is and how big an influence she was on the world around us that you may ne never have realized and the things think about it like you know in star trek they go space the final frontier like ultimately people are going to eventually try and get out into space and you got to think that because of her huge personality and her opportunities that she had to open the door for for this diverse group of people to you know so that nasa could have the best regardless of is it a man is it a woman is a person of color whatever like this will change human culture for years to come because of her uh her role in opening the door to so many people that may not have otherwise had an opportunity so you you can't undersell the importance that she had as an advocate in her life very cool okay anything else all right yes I had another documentary, but you don't have to play the song again. On the Disney Plus channel, there is a six-part documentary series. I've only watched the first two so far, and it's called Light and Magic. Oh, you know what? I was just flipping around Disney Plus today. I saw that, and my wife was like, oh, God. And I just added it to my list, to my favorites. That looks yes. fantastic. Yeah, I watched the first two episodes. It is the history of how the Industrial Light and Magic special effects shop became came into being yes it's a lot of star wars because that was how they started yep but i have seen a lot of star wars the making of star wars documentaries this is nothing like that this is all about the people that built the special effects shop the the engineers the artists the people that work in special effects george lucas is interviewed in this mm -hmm. but he has very little screen time it's not an it's not a documentary about george lucas he's had enough documentaries over the years this is about the people this is like that, phil tippett and joe johnson and those guys oh it's it's even names i'd never heard before and it just it talks about how they were pioneers and how it was like they were too inexperienced to realize just how how right. big a task they had in front of them. And so the first two episodes, I finished watching the second one today. The first two episodes are about Star Wars. And I, I started watching the third episode and it is now moving ahead to Empire Strikes Back. And so I don't know if the six episodes are just two on Star Wars, two on Empire, two on Jedi. I got to think that by the end, they're going to talk about like where light and ma industrial light magic has gone over the years. But again, I... I'm trying not to spoil it for myself. The first two episodes are fantastic, but they're, each episode's about an hour piece. So you got it's gonna be six hours to get through this. It's fantastic. It's so good. And let me tell you, I'm watching this documentary and I'm like, I can't wait to go back and watch Star Wars now that I've seen some more of this behind the scenes stuff. Um, so yeah, two thumbs up, A plus nice. on the Light and Magic documentary series on Disney Plus. Uh, real quick, three other things I had, two of them are repeats. Uh, one of my friends is starting his way through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has not seen any of the movies, and is slowly working his way through. Is this, is this Fred me? <laughs> no, but uh, uh, very well. Believe me, be. he's like you. He he had no context, not a comic right. book guy, and and did not see any of them in the theaters. And watching them on on streaming and DVD. So he's at my place a couple weeks ago, and I go, "Oh, how far are you into the things?" He goes, "The next one on my list is Black Panther," and I'm like, "Well." I think we're going to have to watch that tonight. And so we watched it again. For me, it was probably about my fifth or sixth time through. It was his first time through. 
this movie, honest to God, Black Panther has got to be one of the best offerings that Marvel has. It, it definitely is in the top, in my opinion, it's definitely in the top five of all the Marvel movies. And arguably, I would probably even put it in my top three. It is that good. Performances are good. Story is good. The message is good. The special effects are good. The the uh, And it stands alone. So you really don't need a lot of context. It's one of those ones where you can just come to, even if you're not really a big fan of Marvel, even if you don't really know what's happened before then, it is a very strong, very tight, uh, independent, independent movie that like, well, I mean, it's not independent in the sense of an independent movie, but independent in the sense of it's not necessarily a part of the giant 30 movie franchise. It is. And if you know that stuff, great, but you don't need any of that context. You can just come into it knowing nothing. It's super awesome. So I was very happy to revisit this one just in the past week. Uh, another one I had a chance to revisit is the movie free guy with Ryan Reynolds. It has been showing on HBO every week it seems to be on just in the lineup and i think i've watched this movie five or six times in the last few months i watched it again yesterday i think this is quickly becoming one of my all-time favorite movies i've probably seen it seven or eight times now i love it i think it gets better with every viewing i it's great i just i can't say enough good things about it i really enjoyed it i know it got a sort of mediocre reviews when it came out but i think the people that like it really like it and i am definitely in that camp and the last one i saw is something brand new that just dropped it's a netflix original it's called The Gray Man. Have you seen this one, Chris? Have you seen I've show never even heard of it. So uh, it just dropped this week or last week. It stars Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Chris Evans, many people will know, is Captain America from the Marvel movies. Speaking of Marvel movies, it's also got uh, Billy Bob Thornton in a small supporting role, Alfie Woodard in a small supporting role. It's got um, uh, Roger Jean Page, who people know from Bridgerton, in a very small role. He's actually kind of underused in this one. It's got a, a few other people that you're going to be like, oh, I totally know that dude. I totally know that woman. Um, and uh, it's this, it's it's uh, your sort of your typical spy kind of movie. Think like Tom Clancy kind of thing, where uh, the gray man of the title is like a group of secret agents. Um, they're like uh, black ops that work off the books when the government needs people killed or needs someone to to accomplish a mission that's outside of the rules. They send in one of the gray men, and um, sure enough, Ryan Gosling as the, uh, the the title character something happens in the first 10 minutes and they're like, "Uh Oh, he's compromised. Now we got to take him out. And so he's now got to use all that training he's received as one of the gray men to, uh, you know, to make things right and to, to, to stay alive and to rescue the people that are in danger. So it's a little by the numbers, but, uh, it was exciting. It was, uh, it runs about two hours and, uh, you get to see Chris Evans, Captain America with a really cheesy mustache, which is hilarious. Uh, it's directed by, uh, the Russo brothers, who directed a couple of the Captain America movies. They directed Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. And uh, so again, you you know you're getting a certain amount of quality. Uh, a lot of special effects in this, some of which maybe kind of look a little cheesy because they are digital effects. And sometimes the digital effects, you can really tell they're digital effects. But there's a couple of fantastic action sequences that even if they're digital or not, they're just fun to watch. So I enjoyed this one, The Gray Man. It's on Netflix. Most people have Netflix, so it doesn't cost you anything other than two hours of your life. Give it a try. Why not? So those are my picks for this week. How about you, Chris? Would you have a chance to watch? Just just one quick one, because you always mm -hmm. have so many. So just tonight, my wife and I were talking. We're saying, you know, we got to come up with a new show for us to watch, a new binge-watching show. So at night, when the kids go to bed, we can put on the series and, you know, watch it. So I'm like, you know what? I said, I said, honey, go in the other room. Take some time. Leave it to me. I'm going to go on the TV I'm going to go through this. I'm going to find us a couple of options. 
and I'll find a show for us to watch. So you had mentioned Crave, and for our listeners in the United States, Crave is like the Canadian HBO Max or whatever it's called in the States. Yeah. Right? Yep. So I don't know if this, so I'm flipping through this, Crave. And I don't know if this particular show is available on HBO Max, but it's it's certainly available on the Canadian version, Crave. And I, so I'm going through trying to find a show. And instead of finding a show for my wife and I to watch, I come across this show. Derek, do you remember The Hilarious House of Frightenstein? Yes. Oh, do I ever. It's available on Crave now. So really? I, uh, yeah. So I come across, I'm like, oh my God. So then I'm like, this is the show I, <laughs> I want to watch. It was, oh, it was, it's with like Billy Van and he played like a million characters in it. And they shot this thing in like the back studio of CHCH back in like the early 70s. It was in Hamilton, CHCH. Yeah. yeah. Like zero budget. They just put this thing together. And so I'm like, okay, my wife is going to kill me. She's going to kill me. Yeah, you're sleeping the on the I'm couch. I, I'm yeah, sorry, I know. Yeah. I'm dead. So she walks in. She's like, so did you find a show for us to watch? I'm like, well, kind of. This is what I came across. And she's like, oh, my God, I remember this show. I loved this show when I was a kid. Let's watch it. I'm like, yes. So I wow. finally got a win. Yes. The old guy wow. finally pulled out a win. Yes. It was so Now, so I, I've, I've heard. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is true that they are they have either made or are in the process of making a documentary about how that House of Frightenstein came to be. That would be one. And I've been keeping my eye out for it. I I don't know if it's been released yet. Yeah, I'm positive. I'll look it up before the next show, and and uh, you know we'll figure it out. But yeah, because I've been waiting for that. That would be fine. So if if they come up with a documentary on it, please share it with us. As long as they don't reboot it or reimagine it in any way, I'm fine with that because I am I am old school. I, I had heard, again, the internet is a strange place. You can't believe everything you read on there. But I had read on the internet that part of the reason that that show has not previously been available in syndication in any way, shape, or form is there was a segment where uh, the main guy, what did you say his name was? Billy something? Billy Van. Yep. One of the characters he played was a DJ who was a wolfman. Supposed yep. to be like Wolfman, a play yep. on Wolfman Jack. I am the wolfman. And then he would play a music, he would play a song. And then he would come, radio. I remember. Yeah. And then he would come out and he would dance. There'd be all the psychedelic and all the. It was very trippy. Uh, I had read that they were having a hard time getting the rights for the music they used in that show to reuse the music in syndication because you now have to pay for stuff. Well, like I think that. they used so, Sly and the Family Stone for his theme, if I remember. Yeah. Well, not even. The, it's like every episode he would literally play a song, and yeah. then they would come out and yeah. dance to it. And I mean, I don't believe it was the same song every show. I think it was different songs, and I think that was part of the problem. Is some of the music. At the time, they were able to either use for free or use for a nominal amount. And then now you go back and say, well, we want to release this like on DVD, for example. And they're like, well, then we want thousands of dollars for this music. And they're like, we don't have that kind of budget. Forget it. So (laughs) anyway, we'll see. I mean, hey, I'm going to when we're done, I'm going to go fire this bad boy up that I have fond memories of that show as well. And I I just hope it stands up because a lot of those old shows in your memory, they are a lot better than they actually are when you go. Like, I remember going back watching Super Friends with Batman and Superman when they were available. And Mm -hmm. oh, my God, those cartoons are awful. And in my mind, they were the greatest things ever. And same with Battle of the Planets, G-Force. I remember thinking, this is the greatest ever. Went back, watched two episodes. I'm like, this is trash. Like, how did I ever watch this as a kid? Well, you'd be wrong on that one because Battle of the Planets is still good. But I'd like to know your thoughts on Hilarious House of Frightenstein. You have to come back and let me know about that. Oh, for sure. But I just want to say, I just want to chalk it up as a win. 
it's a win for us oh, old for guys. sure you know for to have my wife like finally agree oh yeah i'm gonna watch that show like yes so that's a really good thing um since i'm old i also do this here's your dad joke of the week now derek since we're doing inside man this week and it involves a you know a bank heist i thought i would do like a bank heist type dad joke all right yep so did you hear the one about the dyslexic bank robber no he went into the bank and yelled put your air up in the hands mother stickers this is a f- up oh, inappropriate dude <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going to hell Opportunity to sing a song. I'm the OG. Yeah, I'm the OG. There are some huge red flags. I am the one with the neck full of gold. For people that listen to the show on like 1.2 or 1.5 times speed, it should be fine. New movies suck in every single way. Okay. Caveman watching old over and over again. Derek's documentary. Well, like I said, it's it's growing on me. All right, Derek. That so was at- a great intro, man. That, that was a new one. Good job, man. Yeah, I'm glad you liked that. It's me singing, so I thought you might hate it. Yeah. But Small you know, small doses, man. Like yeah. so many things, small doses are best. Oh, that's good. So uh, I, was, I was talking about at the top of the show, we did a couple of movies from 1986, and it was time to do something newer. So uh, it quote, was over to you. Quote, unquote, newer. Newer, you know, 16 <laughs> years ago. Uh, but you decided to, to nominate Inside Man. Yes. And so maybe you can just start off and just tell us a why inside man why did you want me to watch that and we'll kind of go from there all right so one of the things whenever i try and give you a newer movie and we'll just blanket statement newer movies generally are anything after the year 2000 like anything in the last 20 years in my mind is newer because i know 99 percent of the time you you've never seen the movie and mostly you've never even heard of these movies that would be correct (laughs) and and that's a travesty because there are so many great movies and and i mean the last time we did one of these new ones we did there will be blood which i know you really enjoyed oh yeah it was Uh, this time around we're doing inside man which i hope you enjoyed we'll get to that in a minute so one of the reasons i had this on my well i had this on my list for many reasons number one it's a great movie in its own right it's got a fantastic cast excuse me of uh denzel washington clive owen Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Willem Dafoe. Like, the, the list goes on and on. And a lot of, like, supporting people where you're like, oh, I recognize that person, I recognize that person. Uh, huge cast, directed by Spike Lee. I mean, everybody knows who Spike Lee is. And at, by this point in Spike Lee's career, like, he is capital S Spike Lee. Like, everybody knows who he is. He knows how to make a movie. So when you see his name on the poster, you're going. And then you're like, oh, well... It's Spike Lee and Zendenza Washington and Clive Owen. Yeah, of course I'm going. And I remember seeing this in the theater and loving it. Now, I also have a soft spot for movies about con artists and bank robberies. I love anything to do with those if they're done well. And I will always give them the benefit of the doubt. And believe me, there have been some stinkers over the years. But there have been some gems. And this, in my mind, is one of the very best gems when it comes to the heist movie, the con artist movie, that kind of thing. The performances are great. The pacing is great. The story is great. The the misdirection is great. And like any good movie where there's, uh, you know, a trick being played on the audience where the audience doesn't have all the information and you are basically in the same situation as the police where you don't really know what's going on. 
it's always fun once you get the reveal to go back and watch it a second time and sort of realize, oh yeah, the clues were all there. Like think the sixth sense is one of the absolute best ones of this, where you get the, the payoff at the end and then you go back a second time and you see all the beats are there. Oh yeah, there are all the clues. And this is another one where so many of the clues were there, but the first time through, you don't really know what you're looking for. So they're there, but they just sort of blend into the background. You don't realize how important certain things are. You don't realize how important certain lines of dialogue are until you know how the movie ends. Now, this movie, like you said, Chris, is 15, 16 years old. So we're gonna spoil it. If you haven't seen it, it's been 16 years. I'm sorry, pause the podcast, <laughs> go watch the movie, come back, or we're just gonna spoil the heck out of it for you. But I gotta think many, many, many of our listeners, assuming we have that many, uh, have seen this already. So, uh, Oh, I we'll think at least a handful of people listen to this. I would think sort of our most loyal listeners have, because mm-hmm. most of them have really good taste. And unlike you, they, they didn't stop watching movies in 1989. So <laughs> for all those reasons, I want to watch it. And you had said you had never seen this before. And so I thought, wow, what I wouldn't give to watch this for the first time again, just knowing what I know about it now and how much I enjoyed it the first time, how much I've enjoyed it in subsequent viewings. I've probably seen it... Mm, between five and 10 times, probably closer to five, probably like six or seven times. Definitely not more than 10, but absolutely more than five. Uh, again, it's not the kind of thing you want to watch day in and day out, but uh, I think the last time I watched this was probably at the start of the pandemic. So it's probably been a year or two. And uh, I forgot just how much I enjoyed this and how good I felt this movie was. So it was a, it was a real treat to go back and watch it again. And I really hope you enjoyed it, but if you didn't, we'll talk about that. So with that, let me turn it over to you. What did you think? This was your first time through, right? It was. Yeah, I'd never seen the movie. I'd never even really heard of it before you mentioned this. Um, so overall, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was great, which I think we'll get into. Um, so some of the nuts and bolts on the movie, it was released on March the 24th, 2006. You mentioned the director and some of the stars. It was made on a budget of $45 million, and it made $88 million at the domestic U.S. box office. Took in $184 million worldwide but it finished 21st at the domestic box office that year so it, it finished behind failure to launch and just ahead of the santa claus 3 the escape clause so it's safe to say this was not exactly a huge hit with audiences but but in all fairness chris mm-hmm. many of spike lee's movies even the ones with really big casts tend not to be be the number one movies of the year even something like do the right thing which we did on this podcast and is considered one of spike lee's best movies which is considered one of the most important movies of the 80s uh if not one of the important most important movies of this generation did not do well financially so uh, you know on the one hand i don't think it's realistic to expect a movie by spike lee at least in this time frame to be the number one movie but the fact that it sorry did you say it was 20 or 21 21st so, I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's right there on the cusp of the top 20 of the year. I think that's very respectable. Yeah. And it obviously made money for the people that that put it together. So. It did. I just want to give it some context of, of sure, when I it came that. out. Uh, but, let you know, let's talk a little bit about Spike Lee, you know, because this seems like an unusual Spike Lee film. It's, I agree. It's, it's not exactly the typical Spike Lee joint, you know, that we've been accustomed to over the years. Maybe because it's not primarily about the black experience in America, which tends to dominate the narrative in a lot of his films. But if I, I tell you, if I went into this blindly and I watched this movie and then you asked me to guess the director, Spike Lee would have been dead last on my list. Like, yeah, not that necessarily that that's a bad thing. 
It's just that it was surprising to me that this was directed by Spike Lee. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm just looking at his his uh, director credits here. I mean, a few years earlier, he directed the movie Summer of Sam, uh, and then just before this, he directed a movie called The Twenty Fifth Hour. And to your point, those both of those movies you would not necessarily think of as typical Spike Lee projects. Of course, in both cases, he was able to put. Uh, you know, sort of his Spike Lee spin on it. But uh, knowing that those were sort of the two movies that came before this, you really got the sense at this point in his career, it's like, like, where's he going next? What What's he trying to do? Because often you hear with both performers and creators, one for them, one for me. Meaning, we're going to do a big studio movie that's going to make a lot of money, and then I'm going to do my little artsy-fartsy movie that actually talks about the issues that I'm passionate about. And so it almost seems like he was doing, you know, one for them, one for them, one for them, one for them. And it's like, when's he coming back to do the one for me? So, yeah, I agree. I I don't think this is what you would expect to be a typical Spike Lee movie, although it does definitely have his directorial style attached to it. It but does, to your point, if you didn't know points. that, you wouldn't necessarily yeah. pick up on all of them. Yeah. It does at points. I think there was one thing that threw me was there was a lot of sweeping camera work for a yes. Spike Lee movie. And and I guess the thing that I've always liked about Spike Lee's style of directing is how realistic his films are. Yes. Like they, they just seem to have this gritty, realistic feel to them. Um, and this is more of a stylistic heist film. So it just, it just seems a bit of a contrast to his usual filmmaking, which is fine because, I mean, directors should, you know, push outside their comfort zone and and do different styles of films and try mm-hmm. different things and that's cool there's nothing wrong with that it's just yep. that it uh it just i don't know it just seemed a little because spike lee is so he has such a unique style of filmmaking especially when i think of something like uh, that i'm familiar with which is like do the right thing which i just right. love that movie it's so good like it's just so good and we've done that here on the podcast already um so it's it, you know i obviously i want to see directors try different things but it just it seemed a little it seemed a little odd to me I don't know but I, I want to talk a little bit about the cast of this movie so the first thing I want to talk about though is the cast as a collective because so, you mentioned so there's a lot of big time actors in this movie with a lot of big time talent but for me it doesn't work and, and I'll tell you really? why yeah okay. I, I feel like all these big name movie stars kind of distract from the movie itself like like i mentioned spike lee is amazing at making realistic films you know about realistic and gritty subject matter and i i feel like this could have been more of a realistic and gritty heist bank movie without all these big stars in it agree or disagree Um, obviously you'd probably disagree yeah i mean uh, the script itself i think would work to a certain extent regardless of which performers are in which roles. But I think like anything else, you need to have those big stars in the key roles to get bums and seats so that people actually see the movie, so that a production company will give you money to make it, so that a distributor will put it in front of an audience. Um, so I think that's often the compromise is... That's a truth. That's a truth yeah. in Hollywood. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just the reality of, of the business of movie making. But... Like, I personally, I think this is one of Jodie Foster's best movies. Like, I think that she had a very small part, but it was very important to the story. She played a, a, a very specific type of character. And anytime she was on the screen, it was like, uh, in my mind, well, like anytime she was on the screen, she commanded that scene. And there was no doubt that 
she was absolutely bringing her a game even though it was a small part um to this i mean obviously i I mean i don't think anyone will argue her absolute best work was silence of the lambs but to me this is definitely among you know the best things she's done in part because it's like so many things good in small doses it's like she's in this movie a very little bit but she's amazing um there's always this thing with Hollywood actresses having to get plastic surgery and everything. And it's a tough go for women in Hollywood. There's a lot of pressure on them regarding their looks. And and let's be honest, roles just dry up after a certain age. But I had to say, watching this, Jodie Foster looks better here in 2006 than she did back in the 80s. Oh, I agree. She's this an is astonishing... She is ever looked on screen. I will argue all day long to support that one. She was beautiful, stunning, gorgeous. Like she, just, but that she, didn't take away from her character. In no, my mind, not that at all. Helped. No, it was like she was playing a role where she was a powerful woman in a powerful role that was probably the kind of uh, like she's basically like a fixer or a handler. Like those kinds of roles generally would have been you would expect it to be a man. Yep. So the fact that she's in that, like you got to think she's a woman in a man's role trying to compete and probably doing a better job than other men in that field and just like killing it. Yeah, she looked absolutely fantastic in this and I think that totally helped sell the role. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, she embodies power and strength and beauty and confidence and talent. Like, she is the whole thing. I think she might be the greatest actress of her generation. Like, right up there with Meryl Streep. I yeah, no, I, I, no arguments for me. I mean, I think she's underrated. She certainly had some huge hits. She's had a handful of missteps. I mean, many, many performers do. They want to do their passion project and it doesn't land with audiences. And, and that's unfortunate. But no, when she's on her A game, wow, man, oh man, you definitely get an A game. So so here's the thing. I, I don't have any issue with her as an actress whatsoever, obviously. But her character like who is she like there's no backstory there's no context given whatsoever and that's clearly by design you know yeah i was gonna say that's but not I, the mystery I, of, of she's clearly like, someone who can get things done and that is established very quickly and yeah they don't give you a lot of background but at the same time i think that's the whole point is she works in anonymity like when, remember when she has that conversation with christopher Plummer at the very beginning when they first have their first interaction by phone and even he speaks in riddles to her mm-hmm. i've been led to believe you're someone who can do this and i have a problem and you can fix it and it's like again they don't go into specifics but they don't have to because she's apparently supposed to be that good at her job that she knows if you're calling me you obviously have a real capital p problem and my my job is to fix it. I guess I felt that it just took away from the script a bit. Like, like they never explain how she knows everybody, how she gets this carte blanche for anything and everything. So that was one thing. Uh, Denzel Washington, that guy is good in anything. Oh my god, I, I'd watch oh him god. read the phone book. Man, he, he is fantastic. He is something else because I'm like, I was even looking for things in this movie, like why I felt he didn't fit, and like he just he's outstanding. Like he, no, he's good. He's so good. Um, so Clive Owen, I think he is well cast in this. I think there's some miscasting in this movie overall, to be honest with you. But I, I, I don't think Clive Owen is one of them. Um, I think one of the good things is he's not famous enough to be a distraction like some of these other stars are. Sure. So sure. I, I I'll think, give you that. I think he's well cast for that. Um, and honestly, sorry, let me just jump in. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we talk about things like, oh, I like this movie. It's a guilty pleasure. And like, you know, I have a hot take where this is a great movie and most people don't. 
Clive Owen is that for me. I've, I've always enjoyed his work. I think he's a very charismatic guy. I think he always gives a good performance. It may not be what you would expect from someone uh, in the roles he's been cast. I think sometimes he sort of brings the wrong energy, but I've always liked him. I, uh, as you know, I, I take in the Toronto Film Festival, or I did for years and years, and he always seemed to be in a lot of little small movies. And if I saw his name in the credits, I would go see it. I love him. I think he's great. I, I heard... You know, years ago, he was one of the people being considered for James Bond. He didn't obviously didn't get it. I think it went to Daniel Craig. I don't know how serious that that rumor was, but I think he's fantastic. And, uh, he, you know, that's one of sort of the, he's one of those guilty pleasure performers. If I see his name on the cast sheet, I'm like, I'm watching the movie. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give him my two hours because I trust him. I've seen him in enough things where he's been fantastic that even in a crappy movie, he'll bring his all. He's in a great movie called Croupier which was fantastic. And I think he was really good in this. And exactly to your point, I think he's recognizable enough that people sort of go, Oh, I think I know him from something else. And I love his voice. Cause you don't see his face in a lot of the movies wearing the mask. Mm -hmm. So he has to have that commanding voice, but he's not famous enough. And he's not that sort of, you know, perfect leading man, handsome enough that it's distracting to the point where, oh, well, of course people would recognize him if they saw him in a lineup. He's he's a 10 out of 10 beautiful. Um, so, no, I think he was he was very well cast in this. And I think this is arguably the best work he's ever done. I didn't know a lot of his other work coming into this movie, obviously, because, you know, he, he started making movies after my cutoff of 1989. Yeah. Uh, but I saw him in Children of Men. Because Yancey made me watch that yeah, movie. Yeah, that's this a great movie. He's really good in that one, And too. I saw him in this movie called Closer. I, I watched it because yeah. it was directed by Mike Nichols, one. who I, I think yes. is amazing. But that movie, Closer, it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I remember it was promoted as this love story for adults, and... It wasn't any kind of a love story. It was like no. four selfish people cheating on their partners. It sucked. Oh, it was awful. So it I didn't have a bad. high regard for him as an actor, but I, I, yeah. I do agree with you. I thought he did really well. Um, yeah. Christopher Plummer, Canadian. So he's got that going for him. Yeah. Uh, he and Shatner got started together doing Shakespeare back yeah. in Stratford back in the 80, in the 60s. But um, I think he might be one of the most underappreciated actors of his generation. But Yeah, I, he's I, really I think good. it's a fair statement. But I think he's miscast here. And so let, let's just do some math together, shall we? Hang on. Okay, sorry. Go on. Uh, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll circle back I, to I that. I want to do yeah. some math and I'll throw it to you. Yeah, have your piece and then I'm okay. coming back to that. So his character is a prominent figure in World War II. Prominent enough to be mixed up with these Nazis, right? So he's probably at least 30 years old, you know, at the time. I would say, yeah, okay. between 25 and 30 during World War II. That's fair. Fast forward to 2006, 60 years later, that puts him into his 90s. Yeah, there's, say there's no way that's there's no way Christopher Plummer looks like he's 90 in, in his 90s in this movie. I mean, they give him a mustache and a cane, but that just doesn't do it. So that one took but, me out of the movie. Uh, I, uh, so, so I agree with your math and I see what you're saying. And even if we were to argue that his character in World War II was supposed to be 19, I'm young, I'm naive, I see an opportunity to the fast path and I take it. That would still put him into his mid to late 80s, like say mid 80s, um, which again, I think is older than he really was. I, I'm okay to forgive that. I think I think it's just the idea that he needs to be someone who's old, white, rich, powerful, and has 
had the money to do absolutely anything he's wanted his entire adult life. And I think that if the character was this 90 year old cripple who needed a wheelchair or, a, or, you know, two canes or a nurse to get him up from his chair and change his diaper, you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel the same way about the character. I think the character needed to be believable as someone who still had power. And I think to your point, if he was actually depicted as a 90 year old, we wouldn't believe any of that. And maybe what that says is the movie should have been set 10 to 20 yes, years earlier. Exactly. Uh, but uh, th- that then adds its whole, you know, I, I don't see, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head where Spike Lee has made a movie that um, is not taking place in the here and now within a year Malcolm or two. X. Okay, good example. Yeah, so. But most of his stuff is sort of the here and now. Mm-hmm. Given the, the, the location and the technology used in this movie, uh, the recorder and the, the cell phones and the, the the infrared light thing, like it sort of needed to be in the here and now, at least in the 2006. You, I don't think this movie would have worked the same way if it was supposed to be 1990. The tech wouldn't have wouldn't have been. Now that's not to say they couldn't have worked around it in the script, but so okay, so Ooh, I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah, you know who I want to give a shout out to, Peter Hammond. He was the guy inside the bank that, remember he, he hid his cell phone in that other room? And then he got beat oh, up. Oh, yeah. He was played by actor Peter Frechette. And I remembered him right away. I recognized him. He was in Grease too. And You he, say so. He was also in an episode of The Facts of Life. They tried to do this spinoff um, of like a boys military school, except it really sucked. So it never took off. But I recognized him right away. So I just want to give a wow. shout Um just again just back to the cast in general overall this movie is kind of a slice of new york which is oh, which spike sure. lee has done you know absolutely before. that is the definite spike yeah. lee stamp on this one is it's a it's a new york movie through and through he likes to pick out like sort of diverse members of the population and kind of depict them on screen like like almost no other director can really do and it's obviously on display here you got the the italian woman in line at the beginning talking to her friend on the phone uh, the Albanian woman that's brought in to interpret the tape. Yeah. And best of all, I thought, was that Sikh character, Vikram. Oh, yes, yes. Like, Lee shows you the amount of prejudice people like Vikram face every single day. You, you get, the cop freaks out when he sees the turban, remember, and he, he thinks he's a terrorist. Yeah. And then later... Well, you got to remember, this is only five years after... 2001 right exactly so the whole 9-11 thing is still very fresh in everybody's mind so of course the guy wearing the turban is going to get extra racism from law enforcement and the, although they don't show it on screen i mean they show the scene where they they take the mask they take his turban off and the guy's freaking out and then it, it, you know a little bit later they have the scene where he's sitting in the restaurant with denzel washington and um uh, and Gio, of course, character. yeah and they're both sitting there and like the guy's got bruises on his face and like he says he's like your cops beat me up like it's clear that off screen he took some physical abuse for no other reason than the ignorant law enforcement that was in charge of securing him felt that you know they needed to give him a few beatdowns and punches because hey you're from the same part of the world as people that did bad things whether or not he was involved or not and it's clear that he didn't he's still going to suffer even, that prejudice yeah, even when he says that that first cop called me out and said thought I was a terrorist. Willem Dafoe's like, oh no, mm-hmm. you just misheard the cop, right? You know? 
And then they, like you said, they don't respect his wishes. They don't let him put his turban back on, even though his religion like requires it. Yeah. And you know, and then they ask for his help <laughs> in that scene. Oh, yeah. we need your help to help us solve this. Like, like what the yeah. hell, man? But I like that. Uh, and, and I think this is, uh, unfortunately, I think this is the reality is, you know, as, as a white man, it's not really something I've had to deal with, but I think this is something people of color have realized their whole lives. It's like, they have to be the bigger man in those situations. Mm-hmm. As much as he has every right to be angry and make demands, he knows it's like, I have to be the bigger man here. I have to just suck it up and help them out because that's going to be what's the best path for me to get out of this mess. And it's unfortunate. And I think that Spike Lee does a great job in this movie of making you understand that here's this character. He's like, I work at the bank. I've worked at the bank for years. I have this important job at the bank. Like, come on, seriously. All they had to do was look up his driver's license and they would have been able to very quickly verify that he was a long-term employee at the bank. But no, instead they decided to beat him up. Because he looked different. Mm-hmm. And and in addition to all these minorities, you've got these powerful, rich white people with their access oh. to everything and well, all the these secrets to Foster's hide. character's name is White. It's exactly. White. Of course it is. And I, absolutely, I, of course her name is White. And she's dressed in white to emphasize, you know, it's that, hey, this is all about Nazi money and Nazi gold and Nazi diamonds. It's like, this is the whitiest of white whites. And it's like, who's the one who has all the most power? Her name is White. Like, he literally beats you over the head with this. And he's 100% correct. Yeah, because he incorporates all those themes of amorality and ethics and how everyone's just kind of in it for themselves and all that, Mm -hmm. you know? I thought that that was a part of the movie I really liked. Um, The bank robbery itself. I got thinking about something. Watch it. Loves it. And at one point, that mobile command post comes rolling up. And so so I got got thinking, Derek. Bank heists have been going on in movies forever. I guess because bank heists, I guess themselves, have been going on forever. But here's the thing. Why do they keep trying? Like, they always get caught. They're up against, like, the worst odds. Like, they always end up in jail, but they just keep doing it. It's just, I guess, to keep the movies going. So. Well, I mean, they didn't get caught in this movie. That was one of the things yeah. I loved about this movie is the bad guys won. And you could argue that they weren't stealing from, quote, good people, innocent people. They were stealing from a criminal. Mm-hmm. So that made it okay. Whether or not you agree with that, the movie is certainly framed in that regard of, you know, these people that came into the bank to perform this heist and do this thing they weren't stealing from regular people. They weren't stealing from working people. They were stealing from someone who took advantage of a situation and stole from those who could not defend themselves. And so, you know, I think with that in mind, the audience was perfectly willing to accept that in this case, the quote unquote villains of the movie were not actually as villainous as they might at first have seemed, especially because they didn't kill anyone. The only people that they hurt were the people that made their job harder, like that bank manager. They beat him up because he tried to hide his cell phone. Mm-hmm. But other than the the mind games and the the emotional bag, like the, the older woman who uh, they were like, take your clothes off. And she's like, no, I won't do it. Um, you know, obviously there would there would have been some, some uh, you know, she, her, her feelings were hurt, mm-hmm. if you will. But, but it's a legitimate thing, right? Like if you're an older woman from a different, you know, you're of a different era and these men are saying, take your clothes off. Like that's a real traumatic thing. So... Um, that scene, you know, by the way, when, when yeah. they when they asked them to take their clothes off, I thought a couple of things were interesting. Mm-hmm. So it just so happens 
in usual Hollywood fashion. There's a room yeah. full of really attractive people. You know, yes. <laughs> how convenient. But you mentioned that older woman who didn't want to take her clothes off. Um, the actress's name was um, uh, was Marcia Jean Kurtz. Yeah. She was also a bank robbery hostage yep. in Dog Day Afternoon back yep. in 1975. And I only, I only know that because I only recently watched that movie for the first time a couple oh, of months ago. So and I immediately recognized her based on her voice. I'm like, I think that's the woman from Inside yep. Man. And and so, of course, I looked it up. I'm like, of course it is. And that's one of the great things that, that a, a director like Spike Lee will do is say, like, let's get this this performer. How, how many years later would this have been? 40 years? 40 years later and put her in a similar situation. Um, you know, it's, again, it just gets that little wink, wink about the yep. movie for those that may not have normally. Another you know, another cool connection to that movie was the guy that delivered the pizza to the hostages. The actor's name is Lionel Pena. Okay. He also played the pizza delivery guy in Dog Day Afternoon. And oh, really? Okay, that and, I didn't pick up on. And an Easter egg in the movie is the pizzas that he delivers say Sal's Pizza on it. From that Do the Right from Thing. Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Nice. So, and, and like, I don't think it's a coincidence that these of two actors not. were caused, obviously. Of this not. movie actually reminds me of a hybrid cross between Dog Day Afternoon and Ocean's Eleven. What do, we, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's fair. Um, Stylistically, it's got that Ocean's Eleven stuff going on, and it still on, maintains yeah. the grittiness of Dog Day Afternoon. But honestly, in my opinion, as much as I love both of those other movies, especially as much as I love Ocean's Eleven, I think this is a better movie. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon was pretty good. So you know me, I like the old stuff. Again, um, it, uh, it was a moment in time. I, I wasn't wowed by Dog Day Afternoon, but I understood its importance and significance to movies, and, and so I watched it, but I was just like, to me, it was just okay. But that's me watching it in 2022 for the very first time and not watching it in the 70s when it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, so one thing that threw me off watching it, obviously, as a newbie watching this movie, uh, which is really good, actually, was when they're interviewing the hostages. This non-linear storytelling, because I'm thinking, yes, why are they interrogating these hostages? Like, why are they why are they asking him, are you the robber? Are you the robber? Like, what the hell is going on? Of course, you find out later you know why they're doing that yeah but i thought that was really kind of an interesting part of the film i like that yeah another thing i liked was that kid in the vault remember he's yeah. playing that ultra violent video yeah. game and it's a complete commentary on video games and society and the influence of, of you know that these games have over people and I, I love how the robber even says this is a robber a guy that's robbing the bank says to the kid I got to talk to your father about this game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a great line. I thought that was yeah. great. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, maybe it's just me, but after Jodie Foster goes into the bank to talk to Clive Owen, right? She comes out mm -hmm. and her and Denzel Washington have that scene where they discuss what happened in there. Yeah. To me, that scene absolutely crackles with sexual energy. Oh, see, I, I didn't pick it. it I I never picked up on that. Oh, That's not man. to say it's not there. I was watching. I, I think, never got what, that sense. I would challenge you to go back, go back and just watch that scene when when her and him are they're in this like dark room, and they're just talking. Just go back and watch that one scene. It they, there's like this electric sexual chemistry going on in that scene. I was like, oh my god, like this is crazy. No, I I, I got to disagree with you. I think okay. they've already done a good job in this movie of establishing that Denzel Washington is already in a relationship. He's got this girlfriend, and the you know the oh, brothers he is. Just screw of course. up. Yeah, no, he's I, he's a dedicated I didn't get guy. The sense, 
in any way but the chemistry the sexuality, was there. no I, I i disagree i don't think there was any sexuality uh like that's not to say that the people on screen weren't sexy and and visually pleasing no, they're all good looking but yeah. i didn't get the sense that either of these two characters were in any way physically attracted that wasn't a part of the scene i, I don't think yeah I, I i don't i didn't get it i mean i'm not saying it's not there i would just I, challenge I you a bunch of times and i never got that out of it just i would challenge you to go back and just watch that one scene through my lens that i'm telling you and i think you might look at it differently i don't know i just okay. um i'll keep it in mind the next time i watch it because you know i'm gonna watch this again of course one one uh scene that i didn't like in terms of the sort of the filmmaking style was when they seemingly kill that hostage and Denzel goes racing to the bank. I think that was the worst shot in the film. Denzel is clearly standing on a dolly, getting pulled through the crowd. And I know Lee's going for this effect of you know him racing toward the scene, but his arms aren't moving. There's no sign of physical exertion. He's just like, and I understand Lee's trying. He's just drawn into the bank, but that shot really missed the mark for me. That just took me right out of the film. You know the scene I'm talking about? Um, this is the one. Sorry, this is the one where he's like, on like it's. It looks like he's on like a dolly or something. Yes, moving. And it, like he's getting pulled in toward the bank. And I just I did not like that shot at all. Really? Was, yeah, I did. Like, that that's no. def, I, if, if from what I remember, that is in the trailer for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like one of the more iconic memorable scenes that people always seem to remember about yeah, this movie. I didn't I didn't like that at all. I enjoyed I, it. I, yeah. I didn't have any issues with it. I, overall, I it overall. And I, I didn't feel that it took me out of the movie. I thought, mm-hmm. again, it's supposed to be that like, again, my interpretation of it is they believe a hostage has been killed and yeah. he's just like, everything around him has, is no longer important. He's singular focused. It's right. like, I'm now going to where I need to go. And that, that was how I interpreted it. Now, again, you can interpret it any way you want, but that, that was sort of my takeaway. So, like I said, you know, overall, I thought the film was good. I thought it was quite good. That's good. You know, I'm nitpicking here and there, but uh, for a Spike Lee movie, it's nowhere near do the right thing. Um, I think I even liked, I by the way, I saw Black Klansman uh, about a year ago or so, my wife and I watched it. And I think I might have even liked that a little bit better than this. Wow. I mean, I saw Black Klansman when it first came out. I thought it was really good. I thought it was uh, pretty good, too. But, I mean, overall, I thought this was a pretty good movie. But do you want to give it a rating out of 10? Ooh. I would give it either an 8.5 or a 9. Let's say 8.5 to be a little on the conservative side. Like I said, I've seen this movie a few times. I'm a sucker for a heist movie. I'm a sucker for a, a misdirect. The cast is fantastic. Spike Lee has done a great job directing this movie. There's a lot to like about this. My so, really, my only criticism of this movie is I feel it's a little too long, mm, yeah. and I feel that yeah, the movie fair. when they like basically the heist ends, and then there's like another 25 minutes. And although those scenes are interesting and somewhat important to sort of wrapping up the story, I think there would have been a, a again. I'm not a Hollywood person, but I would have liked to have seen that those parts of the story wrapped up in a slightly different way that was faster, like. Once the heist ends, I kind of wanted the movie to be over. And the fact that it kept going on, I felt like, mm-hmm. hey, what are we in? Lord of the Rings Part 3? Like, just end this damn thing already. So those are sort of my big my big criticism. Not that those are even really that big criticisms. Those are my sort of big critiques of this. So, yeah, I'm going to go with 8.5. 8.5. Eight eight so I just want to put things in, in context for you. When we watched Stand By Me 
you gave that an eight and a half. So you feel that this movie is on par with Stand By Me? Oh yes, yes I do. I think those should both be in the same the wow. same category. That's that's exactly yeah. Now I'm glad I didn't give it a nine. This eight and a half. No, perfect. I yeah, I, I think I would give it a seven. It gets a seven. Oh, I'll take the seven. Yep. Sometimes so. you give my movies like a one. Yeah, or a three. I think like, I, I think one time five I even... is usually a win for me. But yeah. uh, Some, well, I. I, I I was hoping you would like it more, but the fact that we came off of my last pick was There Will Be Blood, which I know you really like. Oh, this one, I'll take the seven out of ten. We'll call that a win. So I, I, I'm I'm trending I'm trending okay here. I need to make yeah. sure that my next one is is decent for you. You're just gonna make me watch one of those Marvel cinematic. I was just gonna say oh, I'm gonna throw geez. a Marvel movie at you. Nice. <laughs> we'll see like, how that goes. Mind. All right. Until then, let's have some fun with Caveman. So one of the major plot points in this movie is the riddle that Clive Owen gives to Denzel Washington. And really, you could argue this whole movie is basically a bunch of riddles, right? And I thought, since riddles can be fun and challenging, Uh I thought I'd give you some movie riddles, but I don't have a song for it, okay? So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you a riddle, and you have to guess the movie. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Is there any common theme to this or it's just they all have riddles? I'm just, I'm giving you a riddle. You name the movie and the riddle is clues of the movie. Okay. 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 Because you know, the riddle from that we, that we saw in this movie, he was talking about like some train station or something like that. Remember it was Grand Central Station and stuff. So, so again, I'm going to give you the riddle. Guess the movie. Okay. All right. Here we go. Coconuts for horses, a shrubbery and knee. Lots of French insolence. What movie can I be? Uh, that would be uh, Monty Python, Search for the Holy Grail. It's, it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And Grail, the Holy Grail, yeah, Okay. You're right. Another, I'm going to get some easy ones for you, okay? Starring hairy-footed people with no desire to leave their home. Adventure comes a calling, and across their world they roam. Chased by evil forces as they go upon their quest. It's a fascinating trilogy. What is it? Can you guess? Uh, I just mentioned it. It was Lord of the Rings. Okay. A firehouse and an ambulance, a gatekeeper and Zool. Be careful not to cross the streams. It really isn't cool. That'd be uh, Ghostbusters. A storm, a fall, and in a dream, a house flies way up high to a world that's filled with colors and a witch's monkeys fly. Hmm. Um, oh, um, oh, um, oh, yeah, it's, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking out. Wizard of Oz. Man, I was getting worried there for a second. Yeah, okay. I was like, wow, that's like really the Wayback Machine. A matrimonial entertainer loses girl and finds another. Sings a love song on an airplane. Grandma raps in front of others. Oh, yeah, this I love this movie. This is Adam Sandler. What the heck is this one called? This is the wedding one. Uh, Wedding wedding singer. Tom, Dick and Harry went under the ground. It was all going well, but one got found. A man forging papers went too blind to see and stumbled and fell as he tried to flee. 
a man on two wheels almost got away, as did two in a plane, till their fuel gave way. Two more went downstream in a rowboat they stole. Can you guess this? Or are you stuck in a hole? Yeah, good riddle. This is, uh, we did this movie. This was The Great Escape. While diving, they find giant eggs in the sea and take them back home. Oh, what could they be? Placed in a pool so they don't go all dry. Some old folks go swimming and the eggs start to die. But the people find the secret of youth. Their renewed life is for them enough proof. The secret gets out and there are aliens too. I think these are really quite enough clues. Yeah, that's um, Cocoon. A big-hearted genius who's larger than life falls in love with the girl of his dreams. But the formula to turn him to normal size doesn't go as well as it would seem. It's like Jekyll and Hyde, alter egos collide, and there are multiple personalities. It's big and it's funny with plenty of gas. Can you guess this movie for me? Wow. No, I, I have no idea. Got you on one. It's the nutty professor. Oh, when you said size, I was thinking like the incredible shrinking woman, like tiny, not fat and thin. Oh, okay. Last Good one. Riddle. Good one. Last okay. one. Okay. His family deserts him alone in the woods. He finds his way to a home. A young boy soon becomes his friend, but he doesn't know where he came from. He likes to dress up in a little, little girl's clothes, but the military appears on the scene. A quick phone call home, an amazing escape. What movie can all these clues mean? Jeez, I have no idea. No idea. It's E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, no, oh, I didn't man. get it. His family wow, I was doing him. so good, and then oh, I bombed the last yeah, two. That's okay. That's okay. I tried to make them all sort of easy, but I thought you did pretty good. So yeah, those were great. That was oh. very, very creative. You yes. obviously had a. You must be on vacation this week. You had yeah, a lot of time. Go figure. Well, full credit to hobbylark.com for those. Those were great. All right. So guess what? Next time, it's time for another pop culture fantasy draft, Eric. So it's it's your turn to pick, Eric Caveman. So. We got three years left in the eighty in the eighties for us to draft. We got nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty seven, and nineteen eighty eight. So, what year would you mm. like to draft next time here on the show, my friend? Well, if I remember correctly, you have won four of the seven, and I've won three of the seven. It so is if close. I win, if I win the next one, I won the tied. first four, and you have come back and won the last three. Yeah. Um, all right. Given that we only have a couple of years left. Uh, I'm going to go with 1988, two years after the one we just did. So oh, and 88. One, yep. And one year yep. behind the last year that I stopped watching movies. So, yeah. And I honestly, personally, and I think I've said this before, I personally think that I have a better likelihood of winning the later year drafts, which is mm -hmm. partly why I've not been choosing them until the, like we did, we just did 86. Yep. We still have 87 and 88, which we're going to do 88 next time. And so I'm like, I'm kind of hoping that those ones are all sort of going to, give me a little edge so i'm not looking forward to that 83 one but 
we don't have to worry about that yet. We'll go to 88 next and right. we'll let the chips fall where they may. So next time out, we're going to come back. We're going to hold a pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1988. And Derek and I are each going to select a fantasy team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick. And then we'll send them off to our judges and see who wins the draft. So that'll be interesting to do. But until then, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself, our producer Sloth, and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.